0: Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 to 12 and we're continuing our look at this chapter we were considering this morning. chapter 2 and verse 9 it says the coming of the lawless one which is a name for the antichrist the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness a few years ago uh, a strange uh, metal bar went on auction uh, which was in the shape of a globe and had stools around it, it there's two halves of uh, two semi halves of, of a sphere so, uh, what you can't get from that picture is the fact that the top half of that globe is like an open back so you could have a man stand behind it as a waiter and uh, it's designed to look like the world well that globe, that bar was from Hitler's luxury lot, yacht called, uh, I think it was called the, uh, the, the, the Grand. I think that's what it was called, the Grand, I'm not sure. But um, it was his luxury yacht <laughs> bar inside. And the whole idea of this uh, bar was that when they went for drinks on the yacht, They would be reminded of the ultimate goal that they were working for which was world domination that was what they were working for they were working to take over the whole world that was what Hitler's ambition was and uh, it was a statement to remind them I'm comforted by the fact that Hitler suffered from terrible seasickness when I look at that picture and uh, and didn't even drink uh, so that was uh, uh, the truth about that but it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, people have this idea of world domination. And you have these dictators who have a view of world domination. Whether they be Caesars, whether they uh, be Emperors, or whether they be Hitlers. But uh, one day that is actually going to happen for someone. One day one man is going to have the whole world to himself and his name in the bible is the antichrist in fact he's known by many names he's known as the lawless one and uh, back in verse four we saw this morning that he's also called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness uh, because he's a very evil person Um, and he's also called the son of perdition or the son of destruction because he's or man of destruction because he's going to go to hell in the end and uh He's got many other names as well, but the Bible prophesies that he is going to have a global rule. You can read about that in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, where Daniel sees four beasts coming from the sea. And the last one is a picture of Rome, which will come in two phases. And the final phase is the final world empire, which will be the empire that the Antichrist comes through. And it will conquer the whole world, and he will be in charge of the whole world. And it's a fascinating study in Scripture to read about the Antichrist and realize how powerful this man is going to be. And it's interesting, when I was reading this in the Greek yesterday, and I'm not very good at Greek, but I've got helps to help me do it. And uh, I spend a bit of time doing that before I do all my commentary preparation, is to try and read it in the Greek and try and understand it. What's fascinating, you wouldn't get this from the English, but in the Greek, the same language that's used for the coming of Jesus is used for the coming of the antichrist it's called the apocalypse of the man of lawlessness the unveiling of the man of lawlessness the revealing and it tells you something about this man he's going to come with great power great glory great splendor and uh going to be a great unveiling in the last days when he comes. There's many different people who have uh, different views about what type of Antichrist he is going to be. In the West, we tend to think that he's going to be uh, a a politician who who rises. In the East, they tend to think that he's going to be a warrior who rises. And it's interesting that in Islam, um, they also have an Antichrist figure, an apocalyptic figure that they're looking to follow, a man called the Mahdi. And the Mahdi is a a, a promised leader that they are looking for. They don't think of him as a bad person. They think of him as a good person. And uh, they think he's going to lead them to victory. And interestingly enough, the circumstances for the rising of the Mahdi is chaos. War and chaos. You think to yourself, what's going on in the Middle East right now? Why are they all throwing themselves into war, why are they all risking war with America? Why are they risking war with Israel when they probably haven't got the firepower to to, to beat it? It's because they believe this situation is going to lead to the rise of the Mahdi to come and lead them to victory. And it is interesting that in Islam some of the parallels are from, because a lot, of, a lot of the Quran is actually a rip-off of the Bible. That's what you've got to remember. Um, Muhammad did use biblical pictures for his own uh, revelation. But the Mahdi comes riding on a white horse, uh, which is a, like the description of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 6. And he, he uh, is uh, a man who has a sword, and he, he beheads the enemies uh, of, uh, of, of Islam and so on, which is why they behead... Uh, in their faith and their people of the sword. And by the way, it's interesting, isn't it? Everybody goes on about Hamas and you know, the poor things that are going on out there. Have a look at the badge of Hamas. It's two swords. Have a look at the flag of Israel. It's two olive branches. That tells you a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, same with Iran. And uh, it's uh, their view that it will be that type of leader who will come. Well, I think probably the best way we can do is to bear in mind the scriptural types of the Antichrist and see the people who are pictured as Antichrist in the Bible because those people will give us probably the truest picture of what he will be like when he comes. And it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think uh, if you look at a man like Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek uh, conqueror in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 8... He was a man who was uh, a blasphemer and a very cruel man, a very wicked man. Uh, but he, uh, he was at the head of a, a political system. And uh, so he brought those two things together. Caesar is a picture of the Antichrist in scripture. And one day I'm going to preach a, a sermon at Christmas on uh, Caesar Augustus and Jesus Christ. Because there's a contrast between the two. Uh, And uh, uh, Caesar Augustus called himself the saviour of the world. And a lot of the names that are given to Jesus at his birth were names that had been given to Caesar or he had taken for himself. And it's like the Bible is saying, no, this is the real Messiah. This is the real saviour. This is the real one we're to put our trust in. And then we think of King Herod, who is probably, for me, the greatest picture of the Antichrist, because he was a, a puppet king of Rome. He was an Edomite. And uh, he was a uh, part Jew as well. And there is actually some scriptural evidence that the Antichrist will have a connection with Israel as well in his roots. He could well be have some connection with the tribe of Dan for various reasons. Maybe we'll look at those things another evening. But one of the things that is, is fascinating when you realize this, that he's going to come and take over the world, is, is how it's going to happen. Because, you know, when I read this in the Bible, I used to think, you know, that's an amazing thing, to think that the world will take on board a man to, to lead it. Uh, because today, actually, the order of, of the world today is not faith and belief, it's unbelief. And most people are rejecting and unbelieving. And if there's one group of people, especially people are cynical about, it's politicians, and today, perhaps more than ever, isn't it? I mean, here in our country, especially since, you know, Party Gate and all the rest of it, you know, the uh, politicians have gone down, down, down. I heard about an old lady who was walking through a graveyard and she saw a grave that said, here lies a politician and a good man. She said, isn't that sad? They had to bury two men in the same grave. <laughs> she couldn't believe it was the same man. You know, in America, they have a, a little saying, because they don't think sometimes that well of their government either, you know. If pro is the opposite of con, and pro is good and con is bad, you know, you weigh up the pros and the cons, then progress is the opposite of congress. And, uh, so, and, and in Mexico, they say they call politicians air conditioners. And you say, why are they called air conditioners? Because they make a lot of noise and they don't really do much. You know. And that, this is the world's view of politicians. They're cynical, aren't they, about those who are in power. Yet one day there's going to come a man who's going to sweep the world off its feet. So much so that the whole world will worship him. And everybody will be willing to even take a loyalty mark to him on their right hand or on their forehead. What I call the tribulation trademark. It's going to be the mark of the beast, but it'll be... uh, uh, a mark of loyalty to him one day they're all going to be willing to do that now how on earth will that be so given the current state of affairs that we see well we don't need to guess because in this bible passage uh, the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit reveals to us the three ways in which it is going to happen in the last days it's going to happen by satanic deception it's going to happen by personal rejection And it's going to happen, surprisingly, by divine assistance as well. And that's what these verses reveal for us. So let's go through this and uh, let's see these amazing things. First of all, we can see it's going to be by satanic deception in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. I heard about a little boy uh who uh, was asked what his dad did, and he, he was still you know, children learn phonetically, don't they? You know, they they don't read and so and he said, My daddy's a civil serpent. <laughs> and of course he meant my dad's a civil servant, but uh You know, one day there will be a man who will be a civil serpent. He will be uh, a a politician who will be the devil in disguise. And uh, he is going to be uh, uh, the incarnation of all that is evil. And with that, he will have tremendous power. And this is what this verse reveals to us. The fact that when the Antichrist comes, he is going to have the working of Satan to support him. Now, in Greek, that's a fascinating phrase. What it really means, the word working there, the word work in Greek is so closely linked to the word, word energy. And you think about it, that's logical, isn't it? You know, when you're, you're digging a manhole, a hole in the ground as a road worker or something, you know, you're using energy to do your work. Well, the word workings here is the word energy. And what it's saying is the coming of, of the lawless one will be with the energies of Satan the energies okay. of Satan by the way anybody who's a top ranking Freemason will a shiver should go up and down their spine when they hear that because of the highest levels of Freemasonry they take an oath to be under the power of the seething energies of Satan now that's one of the highest things. a lot of people don't know Mas- Masonic stuff is evil uh, it gets higher up you get you find the true name of the God they worship is not the God of the Bible and uh, they worship a God called yah which is Yah, Yahweh. Bull, which is Baal, and on of the Egyptians. And then you get to know the secret name of God beyond that, which is the devil, it's Beelzebub, Lucifer. And uh, that is who they worship. And uh, the seething energies of Satan is a phrase within. Well, this is what this man's going to come with. He's going to come with the workings of Satan, the energies of Satan, the power to do uh, amazing things by satan and it says with all power by the way notice the word all in this text all power in verse 9 all unrighteousness uh, in verse 10 and you know it's all who may be condemned in verse 12 the alls are important in this passage and he's going to come with all power for, from satan and that power will show itself in signs and lying wonders now, what do we mean by signs and lying wonders? Well, we've only got to realize that the Antichrist is a, an, is a, a copy of the true Christ. He's, a, he's the ape of Christ, that's what theologians call him. He's the one who's copying the true Christ. Jesus came, and he came with the power of his Father, and he said, you know, the works that I do, these are the works of the Father, and that's why you should put your trust in me. Uh, because I'm doing these great things. Satan, Antichrist is coming with the power of Satan. And he will duplicate the things that Jesus does uh, to try and get people to put their trust in him. Signs and lying wonders. And we read in the book of Revelation some of those things. At one time he's going to call fire down from heaven. Think of that. It's amazing, isn't it? Now why is that significant? Well, those of you who know about the Gog and Magog War will know where that's significant because in the Gog and Magog war in Ezekiel 38 God is going to deliver Israel by fire out of heaven and uh, it's going to be like the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah only it's going to be like military fire coming down out of heaven God's going to wipe out their enemies and rescue Israel from the, uh, the combined forces under Russia who come and attack them and what Antichrist is going to be doing he's going to be saying that was me that was me Now, that wasn't him, that was the Lord. But he's going to call down fire out of heaven to try and claim that power. We also see he has a fake death and resurrection in uh, Revelation 13. You know, that's a very powerful thing, isn't it? Um, You know, one of the interesting things is when you study the American presidents, the most popular presidents, when people talk about history, the most popular presidents are the presidents who were assassinated. JFK being the most famous and uh, it's interesting the power of an assassination John F. Kennedy's assassination uh, before he was assassinated, he and his party were having tremendous difficulty getting anything passed through Congress after he was assassinated his deputy got everything through, almost 100% votes you know why? Because it gives people credence and power uh, and authority. Well, the Antichrist is going to be one who has a fake death and resurrection. And he is going to come with satanic power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, notice they're lying wonders. They're They're not wonders that are true. They're lying wonders that deceive. And it may surprise people to know this, but there is power in the occult. There is power in the occult. I remember when we were in our first church, we had a, a gentleman from Portugal who was converted, and he told us his testimony one night, and uh, it was a thrilling testimony to hear how he'd grown up as a, 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 a boy in the Roman Catholic Church in Portugal, and he said, he said, I, I joined the Roman Catholic Church. I'd heard Christianity and I was interested in it, but I joined the Roman Catholic Church on purpose. He said, because what you don't understand is in the Roman Catholic Church, in some places in Europe, it's very closely linked in with the occult. I, I didn't know this, but he said, the priests and that were practitioners of the occult, and I wanted power. That's what he said. He said, but when he got in there, it frightened the life out of him, and uh, he ended up turning to Christ, praise the Lord, he got saved. But that was, uh, that was what he was after, and there is power in the occult uh you think some biblical illustrations of this i'm reading the book of exodus at the moment i'm reading about uh the battle between moses and pharaoh and how moses went into pharaoh and, and he god had given him his rod and said you know cast it down on the ground and it'll become a snake and god did that great miracle to prove satan and to prove um to prove the power of the lord was with with Moses and uh, Pharaoh clicked his fingers and his magicians came forward and they threw down their rods and their rods became serpents too I've often thought about that, wow how did they do that, that was some bad juju wasn't it, you know that was something pretty evil Uh, but you know what happened the rod of God swallowed up the rods of, of, uh, of Pharaoh's men but the point is there is real power in the occult and Satan's man will display it when he comes and it will be with all lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish those who are going to, to, to those who perish is non-Christians there's a phrase in the Bible used in 2 Corinthians 4 and other places for those who reject the gospel and are going to be uh, condemned to God's judgment and so he, they will fall for the Antichrist by his terrible power to deceive Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in, in one of his messages. He said, there is going to be an ultimate Antichrist, one person, able to do miracles and do such wonders that he almost deceives the elect themselves. And he's right. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ himself gave us this warning in Matthew 24. And he said, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. That's Matthew 24:23 to 25. And we need to uh, be on guard against uh, false signs in the day and age that we're in as well. Um, You know, one of the things that we have in the church today is we have miracle mongers who are in the church for for the business of of putting on a show of so-called miracles. And we've seen the rise of false preachers who pretend to do miracles and they get a big crowd and they make millions of, of money. You know, it's not Christ's way. It's not Christ's way. You see, Jesus did give real power to his disciples, but it wasn't so they could make money and it wasn't so they could become famous It was so the gospel could be preached and sinners could be saved. And uh, we need to be on guard. Just because somebody does miracles, it doesn't mean they're from God. We need to be very careful. Signs are only accurate if they're pointing the right way. And signs must point to Jesus Christ and to no one else. This man's signs are going to be pointing to him. And the danger is it's going to mislead and deceive many so we need to be aware of that and understand that's what's going to come down the pipe later on in history. And perhaps is even starting to happen in our world even today. The second thing we see here is that he will deceive the world and get the world to follow him by personal rejection. And, uh, and this comes in the next half of verse 10. Let's read the whole of verse 10 though. He says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish... Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now these noises are getting worse. I don't know if anybody up there is hearing them as well as me. But um, uh, it says they they did not receive, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The point here that he's making is people who uh, will take the Antichrist and follow the Antichrist will be people who have previously rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they do that, they're laying themselves open to the counterfeit. They're laying themselves open to someone else. And... uh, This is one of the the great warnings we have here in the Bible um, uh, regarding the gospel itself. The gospel is a safeguard against deception and against evil because it presents us with the knowledge of the truth. But if people don't receive the love of the truth, then they're going to have an openness towards lies. And I want to tell you, dear friends, that is sadly the case in our world today. We do have people who, who don't want the love of the truth, and, and they are open towards lies. Uh, I'm afraid this is very true in, in the scientific community. I was reading a quotation, I was putting some quotations on the computer uh, from articles and books I've read just recently. And one of them was from a man called Francis Crick. I don't know if you know that name. Francis Crick was one of the men who helped discover and unravel the mystery of DNA. And DNA is one of the most fascinating things in God's creation. The code that is in a human being is... I don't know where these noises are, but Satan is obviously busy tonight. And just take comfort, all right? Um, Jesus is Lord. So... Um, one of the things about the DNA is it's, it's a code and it is, it is language and it's a fascinating thing that's written in to our makeup and one of the things about it, language is language only ever comes from an intelligent source. If you were walking along the beach one day and you saw written on the floor, John loves Hev, you wouldn't go, wow isn't that amazing, look what the tide did when it was swept up. You'd say, Johnny Eichens has been along here and he's been writing in the sand. That would be your logical conclusion. Because it's language, it's intelligence. And the most advanced, complex language known to man is the DNA code. And it's written into our being. Do you know why I believe it is so? Because as we sang at the beginning, you're the word of God the Father. It's one of the titles of Jesus Christ. How does this man know letters? They asked. Jesus Christ is the creator. He invented letters. He even wrote it into a maker. It's a fascinating thing. Yet Francis Crick said this. He said to his students and he wrote into his lectures. He said, what all scientists have to remember when they're studying this is that this is not designed. It only has the appearance of being designed. And you know what they're saying here? He's saying, you've got to be careful here, guys, because when you come to read this and look at this, you're going to think, there must be a God, there must be a creator, but you've got to stop yourself thinking that. And you know, this is what Paul is saying mankind does. They refuse to receive a knowledge of the truth. And because they do not receive a knowledge of the truth, they will be deceived. And those people who willingly... Uh, and, and happily reject the truth of the gospel, they themselves will be deceived by the Antichrist when he comes. And I'm sad to say that many people all over our country in, in, in England at this time are hearing the gospel and have heard the gospel. And sadly, we're living in a day and age where most people are rejecting it. Most church services tonight will be something like this where there will be more empty pews than there will be full ones. And the reason is not that they haven't had churches on just the back the community where they live. Because think about even Bath. You know, I'm not agree with all of the doctrines in all of the churches, but there's a lot of evangelical churches in a town like Bath. And there's a lot in Birmingham, there's a lot in Reading, there's a lot in London and so on. There's churches everywhere where people can go and hear the word of God if they want to. Don't want to receive the love of the truth. And they've been given Bibles. They were given Gideon Bibles at school. And many of them threw those Gideon Bibles away. Many of them inherited a Bible from their parents or grandparents. And they've never read it. And you could write the word damnation in the dust on that Bible. I want to tell you, dear friends, this is why the Antichrist will have such power. Because they are rejecting the love of the truth. Now, here's the question is, why? Why do people reject the love of the truth? Well, this is where we can use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And in John chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord Jesus said this, Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. That's why they hate the truth, and that's why they love the darkness, because they love darkness. I remember reading the testimony of a, well, it wasn't a testimony, but it was a a statement from an interview with a man who was given the gospel, a Muslim man who was given the gospel, and he said, there's more license in Islam than there is in Christianity, so I'm sticking with Islam. Because you see, in Christianity, Jesus said, it's not just your actions, it's your attitudes as well. You read the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it's not just whether you commit adultery, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Uh, he could. He, uh, that's too high a standard. There's more license in Islam than there is in Christianity. So I'm sticking with it. You know why? Because he loved his sin. Loved his sin. The man in the world loves his sin. I read the story of a, a man called John Peterson in America. He was a, a, a hymn writer and songwriter, a gospel musician. Uh, but in, in World War II, he was in the Army Air Force. And on one occasion, he was witnessing to a man and uh, they were on duty together and this man had tried to persuade him to get involved in some sinful pursuits and John said, you don't need that and he pulled his Bible out of his pocket and he, he started witnessing to this man and sharing the gospel with this man and after a while he said, you know, you need to be saved he looked at him and he said John, I believe everything you tell me I don't have any questions about it I really want to become a Christian one day, but I just don't want to be a Christian now. The thing is he wanted sin and he didn't want to become a Christian and leave his life of sin. And sadly, they went on a mission and What can you And I just want to lay this warning out to you, dear friends, even tonight, if you if you can hear this and you're not yet saved. Whoever you are, whether you're listening to this on Sermon Audio, whether you're listening to this uh, uh, here in the chapel or on Zoom, if you're not saved, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved tonight. Get saved tonight. Don't play games with your soul. Your soul is the most precious thing you have. And the longer you leave it, the more you mess around, the more danger you are in. It really is. It's an urgent thing to become a Christian. Richard Buse, uh, had a, who was a famous minister up at All Souls Langham Place in London. He had a father who was a, a minister as well, at Tunbridge Wells. And one day his father preached a sermon pleading with the people in the congregation to become Christians. And he said to them, you know, it's a statistical fact that the older generation are less likely to become Christians than the younger generation. Most people become Christians when they're young when they get older the number of people who get converted is, uh, is, is very few and he said it's almost like when you reach 50 there's a turn off and most people stop becoming Christians after the age of 50 well he pleaded with his congregation and after lunch uh, when most ministers are doing some deep meditation uh, uh, there was a knock on the door by that means having a little nap uh, there was a knock on the door and uh, there was a young man there And uh, well, I say young man, he said, and uh, he said, "Can I come in?" And he said, "Yes, by all means." He said, "I want you to know, I became a Christian this morning." And and Richard Buse father said, "That's wonderful." He said, "Tell me, how did it happen?" He said, "I'm 50 tomorrow." (laughs) But praise God, he got the message, and he, he realized, "I've been messing around. I've got to come now. Stop messing around with your soul." the Most precious thing you have, flee to Christ while you may be saved. Because those who, who are not in that place when Christ comes, when the Christ, when the Antichrist appears, then they will be deceived because they didn't receive a love of the truth. And don't just accept the truth, love the truth. Love the truth. Do you know how I can know whether you love the truth? I can tell by looking at your Bible the state of your Bible will tell me how much you love the truth. Those who love the truth have Bibles that are worn out because of their study and they're feeding on it. So love the truth and put your trust in Jesus. Thirdly, uh, they will be deceived, and this is the shocking one of all, by divine assistance. And this is what verse 11 and 12 says. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The biggest shock at the end of this chapter is the person who's going to help them be deceived at the end is going to be God himself. Because they rejected the Lord Jesus, God will send them a strong delusion. And He will send them uh, uh, the, the state of mind which will cause them to believe the lie. Now, this is a shock to some people they say God would never do a thing like that. God would never do I want to tell you friends, God has already done it. God has already done it. Just keep your finger in the place and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings and chapter 22. 1 Kings and chapter 22 in the Old Testament. And here we have the story of King Ahab. And King Ahab is wanting to go to war. King Ahab, by the way, was married to Jezebel and he was a wicked king. And he was uh, the man who introduced Baal worship into the northern kingdom, or at least promoted it. And his wife, Jezebel, was the one who helped murder the prophets. And he wants to go to war, and he's managed to con the king of Judah to join him in this. And uh, he's had all the prophets of Baal come, and uh, and the false prophets have come. And they said, go, and God will give you victory. And the king of Judah knows better. And he says, is there not a prophet of the Lord? yeah, there is. He said, but I don't like him <laughs> because he always tells the truth. <laughs> His name is Makiah, And uh, the king of Judah said, you shouldn't say things like that. He said, go and send for him. So they pulled him out of prison where he'd been banished. And he came out. And uh, at first he says, yeah, go. Go on. Go on. The, the God will give the king victory. He doesn't say which king. He'll give victory. <laughs> give, give victory to the enemy over him. But uh, King Ahab says, How many times have I told you to tell me the truth? So he tells him the truth. And this is what Micaiah said. Look at verse 19. Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven, which is a term for the angels, standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead, meaning that he may die at Ramoth-Gilead. So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit, an angelic being, a spirit, came forward and stood before the Lord, and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. And therefore, Micah says, therefore look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. It's quite That's a sobering thing, isn't it? God did it to Ahab, and he sent a lying spirit into the prophets who were leading Ahab to his judgment. And that's what God will do again at uh, the last day. I will tell you that is one of the things that terrifies me more than anything else I could ever preach to you about. If the Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? But if you turn that verse around, if God is against us, who can be for us? And if you turn your back on God, God will turn his back on you. Don't play games with the Almighty. He's not a fool. Pharaoh tried playing this game, and Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord, though the Lord sent him warning after warning after warning. The Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened his heart, and he can harden men's heart, and he will do in this time too. And he will send them the strong delusion that they should believe in lie. You know, I believe that delusion is even falling now starting to fall on men now. Do you know what Richard Dawkins' most famous book was called? It was called The God Delusion. When you think of that in light of this verse of the Bible, isn't that astounding? You know, he's saying, oh, God is a delusion. Mr. Dawkins, I fear that God has put you under a delusion. And maybe you're going to be one of the tools who brings the delusion on others. I fear. believe Christ. Do you, t- you trust in Him and follow Him? and you love the truth? If you were so no, no I won't. No I no. and be saved. And the there's time before these come to pass, the therefore of the world grows... we therefore, choose Christ and to the world to the world to the world